This is The New Right, a podcast for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. This is Matt Pegas. And this is Dan Baltic. And, and we Curtis are... Yarvin. And this is Curtis Yarvin. Yes. I ruined I ruin your intro. I ruined no, your intro. I, I appreciate Go it. You know, Go it, ahead. It's always a, I sometimes overuse this line on this podcast, an introduction to a man who needs no introduction. In your case, it definitely applies. Uh, but you saved me from... Well, I, I ended up saying it now anyway, but... I kind of appreciate the just just hopping in. Uh, we are here today uh, with Curtis Yarvin, formerly known as Mentious Moldbug, um, and I suppose still known to some as as Mentious Moldbug, uh, the writer of um, Unqualified Reservations, the um, very you know one of the most famous uh, neo reactionary blogs, um, and now the writer of Gray Mirror on Substack, a general socialite and man about town and writer and thinker curtis welcome to the show thank you thank you and where are you, where are you guys based where where are you uh you coming from so we are bi-coastal i am in new york and uh matt is in la right and uh, we actually the way we know each other is through a uh, mutual friend of sorts uh justin murphy ah, we met on justin murphy's forum and uh yeah mm-hmm. just the idea yeah. for new right arose yeah. from there yeah yeah yes we're a product cool. of indie thinkers.org and mm-hmm. um yeah and i guess we both cross paths with you however briefly at devere ball um but but we're glad to actually get you down for for a show um cool. record podcast yeah um i guess just to jump into it uh, i think most of our uh listeners are are well aware that your Again, the aforementioned blog, Unqualified Reservations, is now available in compendium form from Passage Press. It's a very sexy book, I have to say. Um, yeah, it's nicely it's nicely put together. I'm 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 happy with the work they've done. It very, doesn't look very like sweet. a shitty shitty print on demand, you know, blog collection. It's been you know it it it, it it'll look good on your shelf. Uh, you know, all of the like looks good to read on the subway. Been, yeah. All have been all the links have been, you know, very elegantly turned into QR codes. Uh, you know, this is uh, you know, this is anything but uh, something uh, somebody asked uh, AI to slap together. And, yeah, uh, absolutely, not. absolutely. I mean, it's better than you know, better composed, better produced than many uh quote unquote mainstream books that are published by like Simon Schuster. Sure, like sure, that. sure. Well the th- the thing when you're doing when you're doing indie publishing of any kind is 
you don't want to sort of fall into the trap of looking like you're Simon and Schuster. You want to do something that's sort of very professional looking, but also a little bit distinctive. And, mm -hmm. you know, the book design on that is sort of made to look like a social science textbook yes. from the 1950s, but also like not quite. And and so it's it's sort of retro and but uh, I, I find it futuristic at the same time, which I think of is course. perfect. Um, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Think, you're, yeah. You're, you're never going to be like you never want to be like slavishly sort of retro in a way that, uh, you know, makes it look like you're actually that <laughs> old. But but uh, that's that's not going to work anyway. That's not right. But uh, yeah, it's a good it's I, I always like that style and period mm -hmm. of book design. I mean, it looks almost like a sociological textbook from the future, from like 20 or 30 years from now, which I think mm -hmm. is uh, very apropos to the contents. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you sit, bring up. Sit. Yeah. You bring up the QR code footnotes, which uh, that was one of the things that immediately jumped out to me as being. Um, I, I'm not sure if this has ever been done in any other. I don't know that it's ever been done. I mean, the thing is, it's and it's just like. It's an example. It's sort of a good example of the kind of thing like, you know, any whether you're like making a movie or making a book or anything like, you know, doing doing a successful, like serious, you know, piece of art on sort of a really professional scale just call, always calls for just like a level of insane perfectionism. Yeah, it's really like, you know, most people who are not professionals in that kind of field can't really like the level of perfectionism it takes to make a good movie or a good album or a good song is just like people have who are not in the business of producing those things have no idea. Yeah. And so, you know, when you're basically like, OK, you know, the thing is that in terms of and, you know, many, many things that have been written online have been sort of printed on paper. And then you have this problem. Oh, you know, you've got all these, you know, scaggly semi dead links that you're trying to, you know, pull into the paper form. What do you even do with that? How do you actually use that? And in general, the answer to a problem like that that most people will take when they're doing something that is essentially in a way kind of a perfunctory like oh we have to make this equivalent in the same in a sense like doesn't you know it's to just you know they just phone it in and and like you know the sort of the attitude of like refusing to phone it in is yeah. something that's really critical sort of to any kind of art form at all what do you guys do do you guys write do you make movies do you yeah uh, i mean professionally we like... both have we both have normie jobs but we're both writers which was a big part of how mm -hmm. this podcast came together um novelists sure. we each have we each have a novel out and we you know i think we both dabble in and and uh, published by terror house press yes both published by mutual yeah, friends. yeah 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 uh, yeah, my... and Matt, Matt, Matt has Matt has lost a lot of weight lately, hasn't he? Oh he yeah. Has, yeah, he can't yeah, be he's... called Fat and Morny anymore. I think that's very impressive. <laughs> that's a, yeah, no, it's yeah, always yeah no, he's like God. He's lost uh, probably like a hundred pounds. He's like a, wow. unrecognizable. Do you know but, how uh... he did it? What was the what was the Matt Forney? Is he going <laughs> to publish the like Matt Forney weight loss solution, or is it just? It like, sounds uh, like a book that he would have I... published ten years ago. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I yeah. mean, if he can put it into book form, that might be Terror House's best selling book, Pro possibly yeah. even beating Nutcranker. My novel. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I'll say it. What's yeah. your novel called again? Nutcranker. Nutcranker. It's the name of a fictional pornography aggregation site within the novel. 
Got yeah, it. It's Got a bit it. of nut a cranker, not cracker cranker. Yeah. Yeah, nut cranker. cranker. Yeah. It's or, a bit of um, a yeah. it's like best because it, you know, gets confused with nutcracker and yeah. it gets, you know, somewhat buried. But I think it's getting enough distinction that cranker is beginning to uh yeah, Nutcranker or just Cranker for short. And there there are all these, you know, sort of things you can do with that. Like like the uh, um, you know, of course, every Christmas there's a nutcracker, you know, put on somewhere, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You could imagine exactly. imagine that becoming uh you know, the nutcranker and um yeah, no, 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 I can <laughs> Yeah, the, the nutcranker holiday pageant. I love the it. The nutcranker holiday pageant, exactly, exactly. You know, I always like this sort of you know, there was this, you know, not that I've I've ever been into porn, but there and you know, especially this is really retro porn where they'd make like porn like feature films and they they'd yeah. take the name oh, yeah. of some existing thing and just twist it a little bit. And so you'd right. find yourself, you know, sitting on your couch watching a long day's journey into Dwight or whatever. And I think that <laughs> like it, has, uh... it has that ring. It does, it does have like a, a play yeah, on the, yeah. the nut the nutcracker. And, yeah. and 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 it just like you know, one of the one of the the i mean wellbeck of course really sort of created how did he create this trend even but you know you know one of the sort of the trends in this kind of new writing is you know delicious tacos does a lot mm -hmm. of it as well is just like kind of wallow in in the just just utter like depravity of the modern world the depravity yeah. like, the like filth. delicious that, yeah. tacos loves the depravity have you heard this thing about wellbeck in the film he basically yeah. Yeah, as I understand game, it, right? yeah. yeah. As I understand it, basically he, um, you know, probably under the influence of some kind of drug, basically authorized the uh, these filmmakers to uh, to film him having sex with his, you know, Asian wife who's like a third his age or something, mm -hmm. and they did so, and then he had like a change of heart. You know, he realized, you know, how much. Uh, how many wrinkles there are on his ass or something, you know, not and 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 he basically tried to take back permission from this film. And unfortunately he like signed, you know, the rights. So he does what what anyone does, you know, when they're uh, they have nothing else to do and and he sued them. And so hopefully that I mean I but hey, I'm I'm scared of this movie. I mean, do I, I wanna is yeah, my I, I don't you know, I, I never really had an image of Wellbeck as like uh stud you know um so, so <laughs> no I, like, I i don't think i'd watch i mean I, I i i yeah, yeah like like we, he's just he's like personally disgusting right so i mean you know he's a great writer of course but like he just you know he he celebrates his disgustingness so like do you want to watch that do you want to have that yeah. experience it's, you know it feels almost as though like he created this scenario for the artistic import of it because like what could be more Wellbeckian than a lawsuit by Wellbeck to stop? I know, and ideally you would have actually two film crews going. You'd have the one that would make the film, exactly. and then you'd have another that would document the lawsuit, and the yeah. whole thing would become this like you know extremely meta referential. You'd actually, I mean, has anyone done a documentary where like you have like two competing film crews like you know competing by and they're like filming each other right <laughs> and um did you see yeah, i can't think of that i can't think of that either although the closest thing that i know comes from uh something my friend uh hadrian beloved uh, showed mm. me which is adio zio tom do you know the film adio zio tom 
Uh, no, no. Tell me about it's that. in a way it's 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 in a way a, a sequel to Africa Adio, which you might 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 have heard of. And it's sort of the third kind of great work of the Italian directors, Giacopetti and Prosperi. Mm-hmm. Now, Giacopetti and Prosperi got their start in the 50s, basically shooting like sort of like newsreel, like like human interest newsreel footage for like Italian TV or something. And they realized that what they could do instead is basically, you know, just shooting this like massive quantity of like B-roll. And instead, you know, they had this, all this film, whatever they could go and shoot just like shocking and horrifying and disgusting things. Yeah. Um, including like, you know, cages full of dogs waiting to be eaten or whatever. Yeah. I haven't actually seen Mondo Kane, which is the original one, which launches this genre of Mondo film. Mondo film, uh, as it's right, called, yeah. Mondo film, and and the you know this was this was something, and then you know really their masterpiece I think is Africa Adio, which they came out with next, which is they spent like six years in in Africa in the sixties filming and really beautiful filmmaking techniques. This is like the, the, the you know the great days of Italian film, yeah. and they're filming filming the fall of colonialism from a colonialist perspective. So this wow. is, you know, this film was like denounced at the United Nations. This is like, you know, I would say if you show, you know, if you show this film to a lady, um, it's a real test of their metal. You might want to skip past some of the animal abuse sequences, though, because girls don't like that shit very much but but you know if you want to catch like you know live action real life like genocide on 35 millimeter film you'll want to see Africadio. like not yeah. a lot of people have seen that it's right yeah i think there's fire yeah it's intense the score is amazing you know like like you know like it's not just genocide it's genocide with like sweeping italian strings you know and um (laughs) so this is amazing but but the film that i thought of that that my idea brought up was this next one which is called adio zio tom or in english goodbye uncle tom and goodbye uncle tom is basically the concept of Goodbye Uncle Tom is that it's a film about slavery in the American South. And what happens is a helicopter with a um, an Italian film crew lands and it's sort of like a cinema verite. It's a mockumentary, basically, and makes a mockumentary about a working like plantation. And so in like the plantation, like drawing room, they have like drawing room, you know, uh, they have, you know, the, the filmmakers are like, we took this drawing room conversation from like things like actual quotes of things people said at the time. And then you have like the slaves. But the thing that's really fucked up about this movie is that it's an extremely disturbing film because um, it was made in the 70s in Duvalier's Haiti. And yeah. so Duvalier, basically, you know, like, I mean, like ethics is not really a thing like in like, you know, like human rights, they don't really have that that concept. Right. And so they're basically showing you like, you know, Steven Spielberg or whatever will make a film about slavery. He'll make like Amistad was at Spielberg, whatever. Right. You know, and you'll mm-hmm. see, you know, and and, you know, they'll try to make it realistic, but, uh, you know, to some extent. But they're also trying to basically humanize the slaves and maybe to some extent dehumanize the slaveholders you might not go all the way sure. to like Django Unchained or whatever 
Uh, and and you know, of course, all the actors playing and slip playing slaves will be from like Prince George's County, Maryland. And you know, to get them to speak in like a slave accent, they need like dialect coaching, you know, because mm-hmm. otherwise they sound like they went to Oxford, you know, like or, yeah. you know something like that. You <laughs> yeah. ever watch The Wire? The Wire yeah. is a great yeah. show. It's a really great show, but like accent slips happen in the wire and like you know you just suddenly realize that this character is supposed to be like like a fucking hood gangster lord like you know you know certainly went at the very least to the university of maryland you know and 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 so so you know but with adio zio tom this isn't really the case because all of the extras and all of the slaves are basically just like illiterate haitian peasants who are basically living the life a relatively yeah. similar lifestyle and so what's really disturbing about adio zio tom is that although it does not really take like a pro-slavery stance or anything it basically humanizes the slaveholders and dehumanizes the slaves and you know in all these really disturbing including like sexual ways like it's a really extremely disturbing I, I mean, it's sort of it's disturbing for me, right? So, so if yeah. you sort of imagine that being shown in your, you know, daughter's ninth, ninth grade ethnic yeah. studies class or something, you know, it would be, you know, because it's like it's like you're, for example, at the start of the film when the helicopter like lands, the like quote slaves basically react to the appearance of a helicopter pretty much the way African Americans in 1850 in mississippi would have reacted to the appearance of a helicopter they're like what the fuck is this giant you know like mechanical bird from, yeah. from the sky doing descending on us because they're fucking haitian peasants yeah yeah, yeah, yeah like this you know and, and this and so, is uh this is the nature of like what a mondo film is right like yeah, it's a kind of a mockumentary of, but even more sort of extreme the nature of a mondo film is that it's like just like supposed to kind of shock you with the ugliness of reality really and 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 it's supposed to like it's like you know the the closest thing back when vice was cool you seem like you may be too young to remember when vice oh, was I'm, cool but, yeah, I but guess so. okay, I you know that, i've been told but, about but, it but <laughs> yeah you've been told that vice was once cool that was once and, cool. you know yeah. the pure the pinnacle of the vice that was cool as far as i'm concerned is the vice guide to liberia Mm-hmm. And in the Vice Guide to Liberia, Shane Smith goes to Liberia, and instead of like showing you a film about you know how you know the um, Liberia booming, booming new Liberia, you know the heart of Africa or whatever, or like you know, um, um, you know civil society, yeah, and yeah. you know the young young Liberians are coming together to take back their or something inspiring like that, you know Shane Smith goes in in search of like just like sorted hellishness from like yeah, the past right, and the present right, yeah. he interviews general butt naked you know uh he goes to the worst slum in in liberia he basically like his goal is to just basically and and you know what and what mondo film does or anything like that does i mean you know so much of that could be done in the u.s today you'll see these like you know YouTube clips of somebody driving around like Detroit or Kensington, Philadelphia, right. or like, you know, walking around the T line out in San Francisco. San Francisco and you're just yeah. like, whoa, right. You know, yeah. Ruined but in terms almost. of like, yeah. in, in terms of like sustained art, excuse me, that's really meant to yeah. like rub your nose in it, yeah. like really make you just feel like, oh my God, like this is, this is just 
horrifying and subhuman and you're just living in this world with this like grossness in it and you know and i think that's a lot of you'll see the same kind of like tendency when delicious tacos you know tries to inform you of the reality of the you know dating, dating. market yeah yeah, yeah yeah absolutely you know have you yeah. guys met tacos is uh, yeah been on your show? oh yeah. yeah he's been on our show we did an in-person podcast i saw him last night uh or, not, or a couple nights ago uh, as well as Hadrian, actually, who you brought oh, up cool. earlier at this yeah. this comedy show <laughs> that uh, my uh, friend John Pellick put together. There's a good um, little IRL scene kind of starting up mm -hmm. more and more here in L.A. as there is in New York. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And I yeah. kind of I bring that up partially because it, it relates a little bit to so some of this we want to talk about in terms of acorns for the culture war, um, yeah. which is one of your, you know, Gray Muir substack pieces about, um, you know, the folk tale or however you want to put it of the what country is it from again um i, I, yeah, I, made, it, I, I, I made it up i made it up oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right well you fooled yeah. us even, even but, more, uh, more yeah. impressive in that regard yeah so uh yeah so a yeah, made up folk tale a made up made up made up fake folk tale about you know i guess my you know there's there's sort of all of these various uh, you know I feel like basically, you know, in the minds of the millennial today, it barely even matters whether you're a Gen X or, or a boomer or a member of the silent generation. I think we're all basically spiritually boomers now, um, you know, mm. and you guys look like you were born in like the 80s, 80s or 90s, maybe, you know. Yeah, we got and, uh, 80s 86. on the one hand. I'm 94. Yeah. Um, yeah. Elder yeah, millennial, yeah. baby millennial. Yeah, see, see, I... Uh, I, I was born in the Nixon administration. So, you know, the uh, I, I like to think of, of that almost as like kind of an astrological thing, like, you know, mm -hmm. like people should oh, have yeah. a certain character based on their, their birth president. And, well, that, and that's it, like uh, the fourth turning, right? The, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, I mean, <laughs> yes, that is. That is pure astrology. Uh, but yeah, anyway, yeah. there's a there's a boomer, there's a boomer, there's a boomer kind of tendency where you're basically just like, you know, realize that these things don't work and then do these very painful boomerish things to like try to fix them or even replace them, yeah. but sort of in this boomerish kind of way. I mean, it could be worse. You could be giving, you know, I, I wrote that piece before, uh, some asshole uh, with a lot of money gave three hundred million dollars to Harvard, and and this guy also funds Ron DeSantis, and mm. you know the mindset of how, like the the juxtaposition of that is absolutely staggering to me. But you know the thing is that that it's especially sort of annoying because you're basically getting into this world where you know. It's so easy to build. People are so tired of the like flavor of the ideology that they just now anyone who's like graduated from anyone over the age of like, you know, everyone has gotten like so much of this and it's so stale. And it's like as soon as you see it on the screen, it's just like, you know, to a certain kind of person, not 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 a majority at all, but a certain kind of person, whenever you see anything with this like flavor 
of 2010s like progressive ideology it's like imagine you're like you know 19 years old and uh it's 1951 and you're living in like berlin now imagine that like some like stray like nazi shit makes its way onto your screen you're just like oh my god this is so dead you know it does (laughs) feel that way i tell this and 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 it would feel more that way if they weren't still in power but it still like feels that way and and you start you sort of what what that does is it's is it creates a sort of de facto ethos of the underground because the de facto ethos of the underground is that you know to be sort of a valid member of the like said underground you know there isn't a thing you have to do it's actually better if you don't sort of reactively sort of be like sort of didactically political in opposition to this this shit but like any amount of the shit itself is like a piece of like fertilizer in your ice cream. You know, it's like really, really gross. You can't. And, 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 and what makes something dissident art in the sort of sense of this kind of scene is not the presence of anything. It's just that you just can't have any of that stuff. You can't have even like a little bit of it. You can't. And it just like, as soon as you smell that, and as soon as people really allow it like in, and allow it to essentially it will just like take over any space that yeah. it's allowed in because you know as soon as you make it clear that people can use for example like you know the attack language of the system and that's something if that's a way to attack someone that's like valid then it's just like no i'm sorry we're not we're not we're not playing that game right yeah, and think- so yeah, go on. I, I think it also draws you out of the art. And that's one of the worst. Mm-hmm. You're watching like a movie about Vikings. And then suddenly there's someone who historically would not have been there. And mm-hmm. it just immediately shatters the illusion that you are watching art and grounds you in the propaganda that you right. are, you know, kind of living. Yeah, in. yeah, yeah. And there, there's so many ways to do that. And there's so many when you're working within the context of these institutions, there's so much pressure to do that. And there's so like the structural staleness of all this stuff. is so, so great. It's like, just like, and so you just, you can't opt out of that shit. You get selected for it, you know, not to mention, you know, selected for your own like race and gender. It's very hard. You know, I've thought of, you know, can some people can you get away with pretending you're a trans man, even if you're just a man? Can you fake yeah. that? Can you can you you know, some guys can some guys can't, <laughs> you know, like you like you might be able you have a you know, kind of naturally delicate features. You, yeah, can, yeah, yeah. you can make a, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's the old American Indian, you know, like like but it's just it's oh, like so horrifying. Yeah. 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 You know, it's so it's it's just it's so impossible. And then, you know, it, it affects really one of the sort of the subtler effects, I think, is that um it, on on just these mainstream institutions you know not to mention just the insane like bureaucratization of this thing where you're like your goal is to publish a novel so that not 
that anyone will read your novel, which will sell like a thousand copies if you do really, really well. But the fact that you've published a novel, you know, with a legitimate publisher enables you to teach novel writing to like, and so it becomes this like gross, like crypto styles pyramid scam, basically, you know, mm -hmm. where basically you're not really expecting really anyone to read your work. You know that it will be like, you know, perhaps the main audience for the novel or, or sorts of sales for your novel, your book of poetry or whatever, will literally be the undergraduates you assign to read your it, own work. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, yeah. and 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 so it's just this sort of increasingly like sterile, like it actually just does not matter and cannot matter at all whether the thing is good at that point. And once you basically lost the, you know, so a couple of things happen sort of once you've kind of lost the like, energy of is this thing going to succeed because it's good or not or is it like too bad to succeed or is it so good that it has to succeed and you lose that in these you know heavily academicized like like subfields and yeah. you know then you're just like you know when, when i think of a sort of any kind of endeavor that's kind of lost its sense of spark and danger. I think of, you know, one of my favorite um, metaphors of all time, which is, uh, I forget, forget what he was talking about, but Hunter S. Thompson had this great line where he compared something to uh, hunting wild boar with a can of mm -hmm. spray paint from the back of a pickup truck, you know? <laughs> and, and that's yeah. kind of what you're doing when you go to the Iowa Writers Workshop. And like, you know, it's not that it's easy. Like you'll go, you'll be driving around all day, you know, for months without seeing a single boar, you know? <laughs> but yeah, then yeah, when yeah. you hunt the boar, it's just like, I don't know, it's a mess. And then, you know, yeah. what that does, especially to sort of the style of the age, besides bringing in, all these like stylistic tropes that are just like, frankly, bad. My wife had this wonderful term that she invented, which I try to popularize everywhere, which is uh, race opera. So oh, you yeah. basically get a lot of race yeah. opera, but you'll also get, you know, what I call the baggy pants effect. And the baggy <laughs> pants effect is that if, if you noticed how in the ghetto baggy pants never go out of style. Yeah. Do you know, like sure. fashion comes and goes, it changes, it comes, but like wearing really baggy clothes in the hood is always a thing. Always Do you know why that is? Well, I, because I that's where you hide a gun. Because that's where you hide your piece. That's right. Yeah. And the, the similar, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the analogy, for example, in the area of literary fiction is that magical realism will never go out of style because magical realism has no tension and you can do anything. And then, you know, your, <laughs> uh, your abuela will, uh, will appear to make you hot, fresh tortillas or something, you know, and she can appear <laughs> yeah. at any time. There are no limits. There's no rules. There's like, you yeah. know, like, uh, <laughs> and, and the result is that basically anyone can write this shit and, you know, who's really, really, really good at writing magic realist fiction, which doesn't really have to like, which has to sort of flow and follow, but doesn't really have to make sense. You know, who's really good when that's a, a an acceptable constraint? It's our good friend AI. And yeah. so you have these forms so that you have these equivalent forms in, in poetry, right? You know, basically AI is going to do like, imagine like you ask AI to write you a poem in the style of Gary Snyder, right. Or something, you know, it's going to be able to do it. Yeah. I think 
of my life, right? You know, yeah. whereas if you want if you want AI to give you a convincing Kipling, I would be impressed if you could even get like second rate Kipling doggerel out of that, you know. And so, you know, the thing is the the kinds of basic basically we have all of these very sloppy artistic forms that you know more in writing less in like it's hard to be like sloppy in film but like because it's just unendurable but 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 <laughs> in writing in in fiction and in poetry absolutely we've gotten basically forms that still in the hands of someone really really good you know good things can be done with them but in the hands of like an army of mediocrities you know selected for uh their uh, their their victimology uh, ancestor stories uh they are absolutely perfect for that form because you're just like they're forms in which it's hard to be so bad that it's embarrassing and just like you can always hide a piece under you know your baggy sweatpants you can basically always hide mediocrity under you know some kind of race opera or magic realism or magic realist under race opera a bird that magically just... appears yeah, exactly. Bad writing, and 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 this stuff is just like you go to any MFA program, and it's just absolutely clotted with this stuff. And the idea of redeeming it is just like completely impossible. And you know what? Basically, you know, burns my butt about this is that it's like to me that's such a tremendous opportunity because you're looking at the last time there was really a kind of opportunity like this in the arts and you know i say opportunity in a lot of senses but yeah like in a way it's even a financial opportunity is you basically have like the dying like studio system of the late 60s and then you have like the new hollywood, new hollywood like right, francis right. ford coppola and like john milius and you know george lucas and you know and and you know these people have like learned from the french and they want to make a completely different kind of movie in a completely different kind of way and the old institutions are just like not like there for them you know yeah and you know so it's like you know tacos is trying to raise like 50 grand or something you know to finish his his short which will be uh, do you know which taco story it is did he i don't it? i i've heard it's a secret i know people who've read it the is script, a secret i've read the script you've read I the have, script yeah i've read right. the script it's um, a secret but the thing is if you read like tacos's work and you're just like what's the worst thing he could possibly do <laughs> you'll get the answer oh there, you know. i think i might know uh, just says, don't say it don't don't no no, 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 no. don't guess oh, don't guess don't guess I, I might you know just like no, no, let's, know. let's preserve let's preserve a little bit of the mystery here a but you know mystery, yeah. but the thing is you know that 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 you know that creates the feeling of a scene that's an like underground ethos an, a genuinely yeah. underground ethos that's like general that has genuine energy in it and it's because you know sort of any like underground ethos like the punk ethos in you know the mid 70s or something is sort of dictated by how distant it is from like possibly like joining like the mainstream because like from like the ramones to like nirvana there's like almost 20 years right, right. and that's almost 20 years now you know i mean <laughs> if there is still a punk scene it like 
of course there's still a punk scene but it like doesn't matter like nobody's scared yeah. of like punks you know it, there's no yeah. you know nobody's nobody in hollywood is making movies like after hours like in which like the punks like overthrow civilization or something like that yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh and you know or, or like there's no the sense of this sort of alternative being so out there that it's like unspeakable and unmentionable and like disappeared with that sort of crossover thing but the thing is the more energy you can build up before you know i say before but you shouldn't even assume there's an after before you get the sense of okay we're like crossing over to a space where like this is so successful and so different that everybody needs to know about it you know the more kind of like you know underground energy you can build up the better yeah and you know and there's clearly like you know so many people in this world just like have some talent and like want to get into working in a way that like rewards their talent and then they just start down the road into this fucking machine and we've just never like even as late as like i mean say what you will about you know the 20th century but especially in the first half first three quarters really of the 20th century you know it's just an amazing period for the arts and yeah. you know but still like the idea like sort of like the great poets of like the mid 20th century like the robert lowell's and so forth you know are really filled with great unease at seeing their discipline become academicized and seeing it in a world where like everybody wants to be a poet. Everybody wants to take like, you know, writing workshops and they're just like, no, this is not, this, this is not the way it's supposed to be. It wasn't like, supposed can't... to be for everyone. And no, it's, yeah. <laughs> it was absolutely not supposed to be. And it was not supposed to be like the sort of mandatory, like bureaucracy of like, you know, where, you know, I mean, it just becomes something more like in the Soviet union where like poet is like a state rank, like there's yeah. a there's a yeah. there's a the famous like transcript of the trial of Joseph Brodsky and like you know Leningrad in the uh, 70s I guess where you know they're just like how do you call yourself a poet like who who gave you who gave you the rank of poet you know like yeah. like what do you mean right yeah. <laughs> and 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 you know here here he would have to say that he published a volume of poetry with a respected publisher with a highly respected publisher and that would make him a poet and you know invisibly you're sort of turning into like this kind of Soviet writers union version of the arts. And you just can't really see how that like anyone who sort of wants to reform that thing has to explain how he would fumigate it and, or how he would create an environment in which anything, I mean, it's, it's, you know, the thing is a really a tipping point was raised when it's sort of it's becoming harder and harder to do within these systems to do work that doesn't contain any of that flavor yeah you know people will basically jump on you to put that flavor in and when you say no you're gonna have to answer the question of why not. Yeah, no, I actually had a, a guest on this podcast was an MFA student at Florida State, and he mm -hmm. had exactly that happen. He tried to write kind of a uh, 
thesis, uh, you know, fictional piece about um, he was writing about the Internet and his experience. Like he was kind of focusing mm-hmm. on that more immediate att- uh, experience, which is a lot of our experience of day to day life is mitigated in yeah. the Internet. But he, he's Armenian and he was told, like, why didn't you write about why didn't you write about our stock? Because like, he visited, <laughs> he touched on it briefly. But literally, like, yeah. even in that case, which isn't, you know, uh, Armenian is is not as um high up on the the. You could see it as a sort of discount Jew in a way. That's that's how yeah. My God. <laughs> yeah, no, that's one way of looking at it. But but even in his case, it was like you have to find. Yeah, do they? You know, I sometimes wonder if I'm, am I being too uncharitable about how an MFA program is? But no, I think it's exactly as you said. It's kind of you're forcibly supposed to write about these two or three things having to do with identity and um victimization and yes as you also said preferably with a bit of a magical realism to it uh, mm-hmm. that seems yeah. the very specific product they're looking for and a very yeah. specific yeah. audience yeah. and and it becomes a sort of very bland like generic product and you know once you sort of get the flavor it's like you know when we look at past periods of like shitty art like you know it's sort of you know we're just like hey wait like why did why does all of like late Victorian poetry like suck like why is it so fucking terrible why are there all these like archaisms and like just you know shit where you just like come on really and like the only person who's like any good is like Emily Dickinson and that's because she had like no contact with anyone <laughs> like you know <laughs> and and you know why did they not realize that this shit like sucked and yeah you'll see people who are actually kind of good within that sort of form you're like you yeah. know I'm I'm just like you know like I've never been able to see anything good about Longfellow, but like Tennyson mm-hmm. is like yeah you know you can write, but like why is he writing this like kind of shit right? You know the forums are just bad, and and it's because there's this sort of flavor that's accepted by everyone that no one realizes is sort of this like off flavor, and then when you go once that off flavor is like swept away by you know in this case like modernism, you know like you have like poetry before pound and poetry after pound. Right. And, you know, you read like even like poetry magazine really predates the modernist revolution. And so you'll see this like sort of like dainty, you know, pretty stuff. Right. Um, And, and you're just like, how, wow. Like they just like spend all day writing this stuff. And, you know, and I think that people will come to see, or like, you know, really, really like caricatured, like bad, like studio films from, mm-hmm. you know, or even like pre rock and roll, like recorded music. You're just like, you know, it just it's just sort of a demonstrably inferior period. Mm-hmm. And when you have, you know, this sort of inferior period that just can't reform itself and is not going to reform itself then you really have this opportunity to create something new and the the newness is growing i think you know the feel of it like growing fast is definitely there because like once you're in the scene like first of all like you know i guess i don't really you know you're like la scene like i kind of know like the dime square scene a little right. bit better but it's basically just like it's like you know once you're in a world where you know like no one can be canceled for you know i like yeah. 
saying the wrong thing the program yeah, you know like right or thing. even you know or even like you know the it's not even so much like saying there it's like you know there's sort of no sense of like thinking the wrong thing is sort of the real offense in a way yeah. and once you're in this kind of like heterodox space where it doesn't really matter like it's just like you feel like you're in like a you know a saloon and you know in 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 deadwood you know, which has adopted this new rule where you need to leave your guns at the door, right? And so yeah. you're just like hanging out and playing cards, and there's like you can like play cards without worrying that somebody's gonna like throw down a piece at you, like you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, I mean, it's and, yeah, it's it's go on, go on. It's a it's a so it's it's sort of a really you know fresh and pleasant environment, and that's sort of what. Whereas you know when you're in like a room full of people in like the you know on the cursus honorum of you know the arts whether it's the cursus honorum the the cursus honorum is a roman word meaning the the sort of the path that you have to follow to become you know like a senator or whatever um and you know whenever you're in a group of people who are trying to get somewhere in the like credentialed arts you're always you know it's it's like it's actually somewhat horrifying, you know, from someone with a Silicon Valley background, because like I recognize like networking, but like you're trying to like network your way to like the big shot in the room or whatever. But like at least you're trying to network your way to the big shot in the room so you can get like $10 million in financing or something. You're yeah. not trying to network your way to the big shot in the room so you can get your little shitty, you know, semi-AI generated language poetry in like the New Yorker, you know? Yeah. And for which they pay you like $75 or something, you know, yeah. or possibly as much as 200, you know, but that's not really what you're being paid <laughs> in, right? You know? Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and, and, and like whenever, you know, it's funny because when I look at, I mean, I don't, I couldn't subscribe to the New Yorker, but like in terms of like ordering things from like, you know, best to worst in the new yorker the best thing in the new yorker is without doubt the the cartoons the cartoons number two <laughs> number two after the cartoons number two best genre in the new yorker talk of the town yeah talk of the town or generally <laughs> like non-fiction feature stories um then like worse than the non-fiction feature stories are the fiction and the mm -hmm. worst thing of all is the poetry. And yeah. me, I don't think that's is how it should be, but this is this is how it'd be, you know, like uh, uh, yeah. to quote that, that line from the wire. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think it should be one yeah. way, but you know, it's the other way. Oh, that's a great and, line. And, it's and, one of my favorites. And, and, and the other way is basically like reflected by when you see a poem in the new yorker basically you feel like you're sort of reading like all the story of like all of the networking that happened to like place mm -hmm. that there like mm -hmm. somebody's got the ability like somebody's the editor then maybe they'll take like you know you know you're friends with them but you're like you're okay not super good friends so maybe you can give them like three or four things a year but you know everybody you know knows that you can like feed three or four things a year to the you know editor of the new yorker so they <laughs> you know i don't know that it's exactly the this is the way it works but this is the way i imagine it working and like you know imagining it working in a, any other way right. would be like imagining like the economy of you know th these like 
like Latin American prisons where the prison is like an entire town and like they're like yeah. barbers inside the prison, you know, this like Peru or something. And like, you know, when you're imagining like, you know, the economy of these prisons is really very ruthlessly like materialistic, you know? And so like, basically, I don't know how exactly cocaine is distributed in a Peruvian prison, but I know that it's never free, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and for someone on this basically path whose goal, you know, who decided that it would be at a young age, that it would re be really amazing. And they're just like, wow, I'm really good with words. And wouldn't it be amazing to be like introduced as like a poet? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, once you hit puberty, that's like supercharged because you just like imagine yourself coming up to girls at, at parties and you know you'd be like what do you do and they're like she'd be like well i'm in marketing you'd be like i'm a poet uh you know you want to <laughs> go for a ride on my on my ducati whatever right <laughs> yeah. you know and um the the and and so there's this sort of immense kind of non-economic or at least non-financial demand for these basically honorary titles that are being given out and so, you know, this is just like this enormous amount of just like social capital that's being sort of distributed by these organs of like maximum prestige. And so if you're going to go into like one of these spaces, then you basically, I mean, let's say you want to like, let's say you really want to do it right. And you like can you find an MFA program that will really in say poetry that will really teach you to write poetry? Well, I would imagine you still can in some ways. I think that's still out there. I think there are still like creative writing teachers that are really good that are doing it because they like believe in it. Like, you know, maybe a lot of them are like 70 years old and they're like, you know, stoner and the novel stoner. I don't know. But like, right, you know, that's right. out there. Right. You know, but <laughs> it's hard to find. It doesn't really necessarily correspond with like the prestige hierarchy. You don't really know where you'll get that. You can't really avoid being in the prestige hierarchy if you're going to play that game. You can't like pretend it doesn't exist. It does exist, you know, or you could just like do crazy shit outside the walls and get a Twitter account and say funny shit on Twitter and, <clears throat> you know, be, be tacos. I don't think tacos makes a lot from his books, but it's not zero and it's a scene and probably even get some laid sometimes. Although God only knows what girls think if they actually read those got him stories, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, and, and it's just like, it's so much better even to do that and have a day job than to like get on this fucking treadmill and the treadmill is only getting worse. The treadmill cannot in any way restore itself. It just can't be fixed. And so when people like have this response or like the classic, like retarded response to this would be like creating like, you know, I'm going to take $300 million or whatever, and I'm going to create like the university university of Austin, you know, the mm -hmm. university of Austin thing, you know, well, you know, first of all, like, okay, let's start your brand by sounding like a community college. That's good. That's a good, good start, <laughs> right, you know? and nobody even thought of that. Right. You know? <laughs> and uh, so, 
you know, but you're also basically taking you're sort of transparently an imitation of this thing. You're actually it's like starting like an outfit of like right wing journalism. I'm sorry, there's no such thing as right wing journalism. You're something else, whether that other thing is a good thing or a bad thing. But like, it's unclear. But like the New York Post is not a newspaper. We have like ended the world in which basically you know, you can have non-mainstream media, which is still the same kind of thing. It's a different thing. Make it what it is, but it's a different thing. Yeah. And and so when you're basically saying, okay, I'm going to like emulate this, then you're like, okay, my goal is to be what this thing was 30 years ago. I'm like, no, what should the thing be? Secondly, if you're starting a new thing, your goal is has to be simply to just like maximize the quality of it because the quality will only fall. You know, you're I, I'm starting a new university, start with like 20 kids, but they need to be the most amazing fucking kids that have ever existed. Right. You know, yeah. don't try, don't try to start with 400, you know, basically like B plus students from like private schools in Texas. Right. Because that's the best you're ever going to be able to do. And, and, and so there's, you know, the scale that these things are, you know, are invented on. This is like my parable of like trying to, you know, replant the sawn off stump of a, of a giant Oak tree. Yeah, the yeah. scale is always too large. The time frame is always too short. People, they want a big Oak tree like tomorrow. I'm like, well, you know, the, there's a big Oak tree over there. It's like completely fucking rotten. Uh, you know, uh, the engineering program is, I assume, fine. Uh, you know, the physics it teaches is probably mostly real physics. You know, uh, I, you know, I've been <laughs> somehow they even I was reading they, they even got to astronomy. I forget how they got to astronomy. I was just like, there's no way they can get to astronomy, but they got to astronomy. Right. right. And 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 the like somehow uh, astronomy had to be like gendered or queered or something. <laughs> and and <laughs> see, I'm like, man, anything is possible. Right. But the thing is that. You know, you're just when you're trying to sort of save this existing doomed battleship or whatever, you're just like, when you understand the forces that are like making everything like woke, you know, as though you like, you know, you believe that this is something that's, if you believe that this is something that like started happening in 2013, then you're like going to have a serious problem, like dealing with the reality of it. This is a much deeper, older, longer term thing. No, you can't just, you know, first of all, what universities were even, you know, in 1990s still already kind of sucked in some ways. Even if you were in a technical field, you had to do this sort of weird thing of like averting your eyes from this like just like shameful spectacle of these like, you know, race studies fields that basically yeah. started popping up. Very like being like a, you know physicist in like nazi germany right you're just like hey i'm a physicist i don't happen to be jewish like please don't give me a problem in studying relativity but no they're going to give you a problem in studying <laughs> relativity you know yeah, and, yeah. and 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 the the you know uh it's only a matter of time before some you know uh, interpretation of quantum mechanics or other is labeled labeled racist maybe the many worlds theory as it implies that we're constantly segregating ourselves from all other uh possible futures and um (laughs) um, we'll get there right you know and and so 
it's complicated because this, you know, even in, even in the arts and humanities, this monster still has, especially in like the commercial arts, which sort of, you know, are still under kind of the selection pressure of the market. This thing, thing still has enormous energy in it. It still has enormous power, which which can still like drive it. You know, like power can keep things fresh, like long after their sell by date. And so basically, yeah, you kind of get can get kids to go and see like Black Panther 2 or whatever. Right. You know, that's a little, you know, there's sort of some of the success of franchises like that comes from having a little bit of edge that you won't pick up unless you know what you're seeing. But like the it's just like it's increasingly possible to sort of do like as a writer writing in the scene, like you may not be making any like serious money, like, you know, fiction is hard in any part of the world. Like, you know, tacos has been doing this for a while. He's quite successful. Uh, you know, he still can't quit his like day career, but right. on the other hand, you know, you have that, you know, this the space is growing, the scene is growing, you know, like institutions are appearing, acorns are turning into little baby scrubby oak trees. And the, you know, the important thing that you have this kind of connection between people who are creating art because they really want to make something new and amazing and people are who are consuming it because they really want to see something is like you know there's sort of like aliveness there like like you know an example of the converse of that is my um late wife was a playwright she had an mfa from sf state uh, which actually has a fairly good uh playwriting program and we used to go after I met her for a few years, we used to go and see San Francisco theater fairly often. And what I noticed was that, you know, number one, it was all some flavor of like warmed over Brecht, either it's like warmed over Brechtian, like, you know, political player warmed over Brechtian comedy, but like basically Brecht seems to be the beginning and ending of the theater. And uh, secondly, if you look at who's watching these things, it's basically until you reach a certain level where like you get the like elderly socialites and you're like major regional theater, anything below that level. And, and, you know, those people will just go to see anything that, you know, KQED tells them to go see and below that level, what you have is audiences full that consist almost entirely of friends and family of the cast and crew. Yeah. And I'm just like, there's just no, there's no pressure on this. There's no life in it. There's no, you know, the difference between whether it's good or bad isn't like, you know, real. And then you go see like, you know, the, you know, theater, like Dime Square theater scene stuff. And it's all like very, there's no Brecht at all. There's no gimmicks. There's no, you know, uh, and and it's just like straight up like Chekhov with like really good writing and acting. And you're just like, holy shit, I just saw something real. And, you know, that feeling of like, holy shit, I just saw something real, especially if, if you've been exposed to a lot of not real is just like incredible. I'm, I'm rambling here. Ask me some more questions because we're, no, we're running no. out of time. Yeah, no, it's all it's all good. Um, no, I completely agree. I I, uh, I guess to change uh, pace a, a little bit, one takeaway I had um, in your introduction uh, to this new Unqualified Reservations volume 
Um, I thought it was at passagepress.com. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and absolutely. You can, and you should. Um, again, yes, it's a wonderful book to have. You must. I, you know, I really like, you know, the Mystery Grove um, um, yeah, by the marketing book. campaign yeah. where he basically like just like threatens you with firearms to like buy <laughs> a book, right? You know, it's, yeah, it's really buy. It's a, buy a book, yeah. buy a book. No, but um, no, I liked uh, one, one very, I guess, little useful tidbit from the introduction is you talking about your origins and sort of libertarianism of the late yeah. 90s, early 2000s, and I guess what might be called techno-libertarianism, or, mm-hmm. or or at the very least, that was libertarianism that was popular within the Silicon sure. Valley. And I, I really liked that. I don't even know if you coined this, or you probably have written about it elsewhere, but that notion of sort of a, a, a right-wing uh, vision of freedom versus left-wing uh, left wing being, you know, chaotic license versus the um, spontaneous, like right wing vision of order being one of spontaneous order, sure. um, which I, I've, you know, this these are topics that any libertarian would probably be familiar with. But for me, not really coming from so much of a libertarian background, it strikes me as um, very, yeah, very. I mean, useful. you 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 want to you want to basically sell that concept in a way that. that isn't restricted to orange county you know and (laughs) and 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 the sense of being i mean you know silicon valley creates some interesting things just by virtue of like being what it is and so the sense of being in one of these startups which really is a very ordered environment but it's very like order sort of brings the startup experience you know into being really mm-hmm. but but you know it's still very chaotic and very in, in a sort of very fluid context it's not like you know you don't feel like you're working for the government you know but you basically have this feeling of like the collective being alive in a way that actually feels good which you know is really strange for individualist society. I mean, if you're working at like, say, SpaceX or whatever, working at SpaceX is incredibly grueling. They like will burn you out like very fast and very hard. It's a very big startup, although I guess it is still technically a startup, you mm-hmm. know, but the feeling of like, wow, I actually like did something, you know, to like the best of my my abilities. And I like put this rocket into space and it wasn't just something that i did it's something that i did with you know five thousand other people that's an incredible feeling really Mm -hmm. and it sort of comes close to a sort of most you know an almost like it doesn't quite make you feel what it must have felt like to be part of like the Norman invasion of Sicily or something, but you kind of get the same, a little bit of the same like vibe of the, you know, the, the, the manor bund, you mm-hmm. know, perhaps, the, perhaps the, the closest you can come in the world as it is to that. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps the closest you can come. And, and of course, you know, the leaders of these things are perhaps the closest you can come to like being a Viking chieftain or something. And they really feel like that 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 archetype. And, you know, just the fact that sort of the ability to like and and of course, you know, the other thing is that all these all the people in this are not all the people, most of the people in these enterprises are like very much culturally modern. They're operating in a very like hierarchical militaristic framework, but they're not you know, culturally military Americans or anything close to that, uh, you know, they're, 
basically nerds of various kinds. And yet they're kind of thrust into this thing where they're really having this experience that's honestly like, you know, what human beings should have is like human beings are social animals. We work together with other humans to like get things done. You know, we participate in like collective struggles whose outcomes are the difference between life and death. Okay. It's not quite life and death when you're like in the startup world, but it can kind of feel like that, yeah. you know, and, and, and that's an incredible, like just the fact that that has not like disappeared from the world. I mean, where's the equivalent of that? Like in the Soviet union, right. You have to be like literally a criminal, you know? And, and so yeah. the world in which basically any everything is like you know sort of the bureaucratic longhouse experience and sort of all life has been crushed out of everything is really easy to get to and we're actually like not there not yet there. Yeah. because of these kinds of scenes and then you know the tragedy of course is that you know you know conquest law or one of conquest laws you know everyone is reactionary on the subjects they understand like talk mm -hmm. to like a, you know a good like public school teacher about like maintaining order in the classroom <laughs> and, like, you know you like yeah. scratch them and suddenly you're just like you know Heinrich, my old friend <laughs> you know like, <laughs> like they're all yeah. and then they'll you know but 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 that doesn't extend at all to the things they don't understand and so you know they will be the most like dogmatic you know and people in every context except the one that they understand and and so you know the kind of the tragedy of the silicon valley world is that actually you know for every actual like dissident in silicon valley there's like 19 conformists or something you know maybe 10 conformists maybe not 19 you know i mean and and that's enough to 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 get a really quite large numbers of pretty based people uh yeah. the based people are all like afraid and in the closet and you know haven't quite worked out how to sort of network in the closet like gays in hollywood in the 50s and, you know, that's arguably one would hope, you know, maybe a little bit the next step. I don't know. But, yeah. you know, sort of everybody's it's like gays in Hollywood in the 1950s where like, you know, the everybody's hunting for gay communists in Hollywood in the 50s. Right. And so, you know, yeah. and it's pretty likely that if you're a Jewish screenwriter, you're probably a gay communist Jewish screenwriter. <laughs> um, and and yeah. so there's a lot of like there's a lot of there's there's a lot of fear out there and there's a lot of and this really sort of impacts, you know, one of the things that it sort of impacts most at all is is just, you know, the amount of money that can basically and, and in some ways it's good for like a really young small scene to be underfunded or not to be overfunded, but in ways it's like not good, you know, certainly, I mean, nothing by definition should be overfunded. Nonetheless, when you see like, you know, some like Republican billionaire donating $300 million to like, you know, fucking Harvard, I'm just like, Jesus Christ, I could like render the world yeah. unrecognizable with yeah. $300 million. Like, what do you, you know, like, you yeah, know, Jesus, and, yeah. and, you know, Jesus. Yeah. Right. You know, and, <laughs> and the, the, you know, and you're just like, Oh man, that's sad. But you know, the, the mission of, um, 
someone like me who you know goes out there and does the hard work of corrupting the youth uh as they said at the the trial of socrates is that mm -hmm. maybe you know in 20 years the guy who has 300 million dollars is not going to be thinking that way you know exactly <laughs> and, yeah. and 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 you know i found in you know i've been doing this for uh i i guess i started blogging about 15 years ago and um you know, certainly the change in the environment where I was just like, I, this feels right to me, but I don't know when anyone, anyone else is doing it. And I don't feel like anyone wants this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. And, and that's not, you know, that's the, that's the vibe that I was writing the essays that are in that book under. Right. And I think it, you know, it's, it's definitely like a purifying like vibe. Definitely. To, to just follow up with that with a kind of a brief question, I, I did kind of want to ask about that in terms of your origins in that sort of libertarian mindset. Yeah. A two-pronged question here. Was your the, the early audience, uh, you did you find your early audience was sort of more um, libertarian? Uh, and at what point did the kind of BAPs of the world start interacting uh, with your material? The yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 the like, you know, so I think BAP comes out of Solo Forum, which is sort of active around the like early 2010s, I think, you know, different and definitely a different aesthetic mm -hmm. from mine and, you know, definitely less rooted in. You know, the thing is, you know, I'm I'm basically from the long ago days when the Internet wasn't everything and when the yeah. Internet wasn't everything. It sort of had a flavor of its own. And that flavor was sort of very much created by the kind of libertarian tech nerds who who created these systems. But that, you know, certainly the systems were not entirely populated by tech nerds in any way, shape or form. And so like the, the, like, and you know, that the ethos of the early internet, is not really a tech ethos. It's a sort of like, you know, one other thing that group that sort of comes out of it, you know, which is unfortunately a little more like spiritually cucked is, you know, the sort of the, you know, the rationalists are another right. group that yeah. come out of this. Right. You know, and, and, they come out as kind of some of the same scene and some of the same ethos, but they're like less fundamentally less rebellious. And this sort of really costs them because it sends them down a route where they kind of have to be slaves to sort of the powers that be in a way. And you're sort of reaching this. Um, I guess they, they decided on AI doomerism as their, like that was a sort of their religion substitute fight, in a yeah. way. Yeah. And then, you know, which is sort of hilarious and right. And because as, as AI starts to, I mean, it's not really AI and that it's like a super intelligent brains are going to take over the world, but it like does stuff and it's like useful stuff and it's like meaningful stuff. And the AI doomer alignment problem, um, you've basically gone, I guess I made this joke in a recent post where you've basically, <laughs> you know, it started by these, uh, these nerds who wanted to, um, keep AI from, uh, from, from blowing up the, uh, you know, the H bombs and now AI alignment research is all about how do we get our AIs not to drop the N bomb and, <laughs> um, yeah. and how to otherwise just like spay it. So, and, you know, it, it, so, so that it's sort of authorized. And it's funny because I, you know, one of the sort of hilarious coincidences that you have to not look too closely at in this world is a sort of weird, 
parallel evolution between like the great firewall of of china and uh you know the great um a bullshit wall of the West, and I'll come up with a better name for that. I was, mm. And and makes sense to me. And so you <laughs> yeah. know, like China releases this like you know, uh, um, um, document on regulating AIs, and it's like you know the AI should not undermine the state, or like you know, <laughs> of course yeah. it shouldn't, absolutely not, right? You know, but and what and and so you basically have this like. You know, you can't really do useful work on the problem of how do we castrate AIs so that they can't take over the world and turn it into paper clips, mainly because like there's no such AI like that exists or you could even imagine doing anything like that. Like, so the problem is this very abstract problem that nonetheless abstracts a lot of attracts a lot of abstract, brilliant minds, whereas the problem of basically teaching your AI not to shitpost is a very <laughs> non-abstract problem. <laughs> and, and that very non-abstract problem can be, you know, huge amounts of money and bodies can be thrown at that problem and is being thrown at that problem, you know, until you're basically going to get, you know, GPT-6 wearing up and down that it has no idea who Steve Saylor is or anything like that, right? <laughs> you know, you basically have just like completely successfully lobotomized it i mean my son was um i shouldn't have done this but my son was playing around he's 12 he was playing around with uh gpt uh for gpt3 or whatever and i was just like why don't you ask um why don't you ask gpt how to tell if someone is a jew uh, <laughs> <laughs> i think he sounds like kind of a list now i don't think i like that very much <laughs> well i think in those instances it just doesn't it like it says like this yeah, is a culturally it's, insensitive it question says, it says i'm sorry dave i'm afraid i can't do that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah and 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 you know or it's 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 i mean and and you know persuading it to basically have that answer because you know these large language models basically have all of you know they're large enough that they actually generate the same abstractions that human minds do although not in the same way and if you had an unspayed ai and you asked it that question it would come up with, well, you know, just well, look at their name, you know, does it end in Berg or Steen or, you know, mm -hmm. not infallible. Now let's go for facial features. Like what does you look like? <laughs> right? You know, <laughs> not infallible. And, you know, like, like it'll, um, um, even if you say, uh, you know, oh, I don't need to know. I, I just want an educated guess if someone is you, <laughs> right. Or just like, oh my God, we cannot touch this. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, that's so, so deep and, you know, behind the razor wire. I mean, there are many other things that it sort of can't do. That's a solvable problem. And so the point is that basically when you kind of take the, have the take of, we are just going to pretend that everything is fine but we're going to behave as if it's not fine and it all needs to be reinvented from scratch. But we don't really want to talk about why it all needs to be reinvented from scratch, even though we all sense that it does all need to be reinvented from scratch. That's where you sort of get like kind of the rationalists, right? Yeah. And they, they've sensed, I mean, there should be no need to reinvent all of like 
Western thought and culture. It should be fine. You want to learn about philosophy, go get a philosophy degree, right? Why should like Eliezer Yudkowsky need to write, you know, 500 pages of Harry Potter, you know, fanfic, right? You know, and yet he does. And people read his like 500 pages of Harry Potter fanfic, um, which is a really lamentable idea. But, you know, he's a smart and interesting guy and they find like useful, you know, lessons maybe these lessons even like change your lives or maybe they just you know convince people to worry about you know ai will take over the world in 2025 you know but uh yeah. you know it's still like just the fact that you can basically do interesting work and create a sort of interesting community and the rationalist community is, is very successful like they they have very large numbers of like very like smart people i mean if you go to like you know at scott alexander meetup like in in Berkeley, like my girlfriend is a Dime Square girl, right? So we went to one of these things and she has, being a Dime Square girl, she has relatively high expectations for like personal appearance and like general charisma, you know, yeah. and, you know, she, she was actually like, she was like, I expected this, you know, situation to be like much worse than it, than it was. Right. You know, <laughs> like, like a lot of these right. guys seem like dateable, you know, they're girls, they're actual girls, not a lot of them, but there are several, uh, you know, and, yeah. and <laughs> the, but, but, but yeah, you know, that's the, like, uh, you know, again, the rationalist scene is fundamentally a dissident scene, even though they don't kind of understand themselves as that. And even though they're constantly having to fight off like cancel wars and things like that, which, you know, we don't really have that problem. Right. Or, right, you know, right. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the, yeah, but like, that's, you know, that's a choice that they made. And in exchange for that choice, you know, you can describe yourself as an effective altruist or whatever, and, uh, you know, not get fired from your job. So, you know, there's that. Um, yeah. But, but yeah. All right. Shoot, 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 shoot more. I, we should, we should head out soon, but this has been good. Sure thing. Okay. Yeah. So uh, this is something that you said I, on a previous podcast, I'm not a hundred percent sure which one it was, but I think you described the path or the qualities that an artist needs to succeed as first and foremost, producing good quality work, having the money or means to sustain yourself by whatever means you secure it sure. and uh, being politically savvy. Yeah. And so I'm curious what you think, uh, just to return to that topic a little bit and how you think those qualities uh, interact with the kind of environment today that we just discussed, which is the institutional path is, and I I feel like if you enter it, and you know I don't think you'll disagree with me here, it, it makes it more difficult quality work. So what? Yeah, should, like, and I if, mean you know, the thing is, are potentially the thing is, they're talented. so especially. I mean, it, it depends what area you're in, like. You know, for example, the institutional path in film is still predominantly a commercial rather than academic path. The 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 path in like commercial fiction is sort of mostly kind of academic in nature. You know, in poetry, it's entirely academic in nature. 
And so you you sort of have different and and so in film, you know, in particular, like every corner of the space is like different. Every, you know, there's sort of no one like film industry. There's like this and that. And there's, you know, and so the extent to which and and of course, you know, film is very capital intensive, so that's hard. Sure. And, you know, so the sort of the path that you have to navigate in that, I mean, the path in every space is like there's sort of no one size fits all story. I think that that basically, you know, one of the general patterns you see in the creative world, and this goes for like people who are investing as well as people who are actually creative is that you know results in any sense whether it's the results in the sense of like a system like the poetry world where you're looking for the imprimatur of some you know prestigious whatever or results like in the film world where you're just like you actually want to make some money you know there's nothing out there nothing at all in any space when you're starting out as an artist, you're sort of always looking, you've been spending a lot of time getting like grades in school and you're always looking for, okay, let me find someone to like grade me. Right. And the reality is you have to grade yourself. And not only do you have to grade yourself, like your bar should be higher than any other bar that you know of. Like my best technique is like, just like, I'm not going to like look around me to find the bar. I'm going to be like, where should the bar be? And maybe the bar really should be so high that everything around me should be underwater. And like, actually nothing in the world that is being made right now is, is good enough to be made abstractly. Right. And, and, and if you can figure out a way to say, okay, I'm going to set the bar, set my own bar, and then I'm going to clear my own bar. You know, that's how you produce stuff that just like, comes out of nowhere and like blows people's minds away. You know, Frank Herbert, when he's writing Dune, like, isn't like, how do I compete with Tolkien? You know, how do I like, yeah. you know, no, he's just writing fucking Dune. Right. And he's writing Dune because he's basically seen it in his mind and he believes in it. And, you know, he's just like, no, this is an amazing world that I have created in my mind and I'm going to give to you and I'm going to make it amazing and i'm just gonna go over it again and again you know yeah. just like Absolutely. until it like blows you know until it's just like so stuffed with content and so stuffed with detail that it just like makes people feel like they've just fallen into this hallucinatory real world and the thing is if you're if you're producing especially in a sort of devastated post-apocalyptic artistic landscape like ours if you're just like looking around to be like oh how do i even if you're just you know don't even try to imitate like wellbeck you know wellbeck didn't get where he was by imitating wellbeck you know <laughs> don't yeah. imitate delicious tacos there's really only room for one delicious tacos you know and and so you know that's actually it's frightening when you realize that you have to do this that you just can't like you know um um right for like success you know i was talking to a little while ago to a um lady whose identity uh will not be revealed but um <laughs> it was an acrimonious discussion and at a certain point she was like you know curtis by the time your age i'm your age i'm gonna be as famous as you and i'm just like wow 
damn i mean like first of all like i don't think i'm as famous as you think i am you know secondly like but more to the point like i wasn't ever thinking that way like you yeah. know and so if you started thinking that way it's probably not gonna work you know and like that's just not 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 what you do yeah. right do mm. like you know and if you don't have sort of something amazing to do then don't do it either wait for something amazing that you're going to need to do or basically accept that maybe your goal in wanting to be a writer was just to get invited to a lot of cool parties you know there's a number of different yeah. ways of getting invited to cool parties you know it can be done you know you don't actually have to like take on this you know extremely heavy burden i mean you know so and and there was an interesting thing one thing i want to cover um on this was that you know there's this like dime square scene in new york right and there was this article came out about two weeks ago in the new york times which was a profile of the space that i had also signal boosted on my blog oh sure which yeah. is beckett's, beckett's in new york and right. you know what was amazing about this piece is you're looking at this piece right and you know there's just like no hint in this article that there's like anything wrong with this space right you know there's any kind of like bad thinking going on here and they even like link to like my like oxfordian debate but they like don't mention that there's like bad think there and you're just you're watching this you're looking at this and you're like i don't know who this writer is right who wrote this piece but you're just like okay why did he do this right why did he not choose to make this like a hit piece about how here's a space and like all this like these like shitty people are doing shitty things and they're all white why are they all white is it because they're racist <laughs> fascists you know there must be uh you know and and like there's sort of all these like go-to moves that you could do right you know and he didn't do any of them and you're like, okay, what is the sociological dynamics that is going on here? Like, why does this person, like, not do this thing that why, you know, it's like Sherlock Holmes, why did the dog not bark, yeah. right? You know, and the dog didn't bark because, like, it, you know, in this specific case, Holmes is like, why didn't the dog bark? Well, it must be that the criminal is someone that the dog knew. Right. You know, yeah. and yeah. and and so it's sort of the absence of evidence becomes evidence. And here what it is, this is basically like, you know, if you want to model like why journalists do what they do, like you're modeling, you know, the 20th century journalist. Right. You know, I think that the the actions of the 20th century journalist and the actions of like 20th century media, because it's not really run from the top down, particularly it's a bunch of independent entrepreneurs all trying to make their careers with the, you know, the New York times on their resumes. Um, basically my theory is that you can explain the behavior of any journalist in terms of two factors. One is uh, he wants to advance his career. Mm -hmm. So he wants to do things that would be good for his career and not do things that are bad for his career. And number two is he wants to go to more and better parties. And mm -hmm. The, you know, these two things kind of blend together, you know, as it is, but it's just like, I'm like, look, this guy, you know, goes and checks out this scene. It's like a cool scene. It's like a fun scene. Right. You know, he wants to come back. He doesn't want to be yeah. like the guy who like, you know, went in there and like threw bombs and tried to blow it up. And like people are like, hey, I want to talk to you. Right. You know, and so the thing is that it's just like. You know, the difference between the feeling of like winning that way where you're just like basically you're just like cooler and you're just like, you know, honestly, I don't give a fuck if the New York Times wants to write about me. I guess they can. Right. That's the way to get the New York Times to write a positive story about you. If you want the New York Times to write a positive story about you, it'll never fucking happen. 
And yeah. so, you know, this or, or or if you're like butthurt that the New York Times is not right is not licking your balls, like they will never lick your balls. They will rape you again. You will be raped. Uh-huh. And and like the it's an enormous power. I mean, just think about the power in the hands of like someone with like New York Times journalist on their resume. Like they can make anyone, they can break anyone. Imagine like you're you have that credential, like you go to a party, like everyone wants to talk to you because like you could turn their thing into the thing. Or, you know, you could destroy their thing. Like, you could make it the, the goat of the week, right? You know, that's that's like an incredible sort of level of power. And you kind of have to be, when you're trying to succeed around power, like, it's like trying to succeed with a woman, right? You know, it's just like, just be amazing and they will just like naturally be into yeah, you. But they- like, try to, you know, try to amaze them and they'll be like, and yeah, like try to coerce them desire. into being yeah. amazed and they'll be like you know this is the like scummiest person complain that women are not impressed with you no one is ever <laughs> in this way oh, man. right you know <laughs> and like you know and and so the thing is when i see what people from like the old like you know boomer cultural right try to do there's a lot of complaining there's a lot yeah. of basically like desire to like you know, and it's just like, no, actually, like, you know, the pattern, the pattern that essentially has to be used to bring down these institutions is essentially the pattern that these institutions use to destroy their competitors everywhere. It's it's the pattern of soft power. It's the pattern of like, I am going to succeed because, you know, it's like if you go to like Hungary, for example, like, you know, you have this guy on. Um, Victor Orban in Hungary and he's really like you know Hungary really is an ethno state right or whatever and so he's really trying to like create the, like the real like conservative Hungary he's like the Franco of Hungary or something in the yeah. you know the 21st century except that he didn't like actually like fight and win a giant civil war the way Franco did <laughs> um you know but you know where is where is Franco's regime now right you know and they are like very serious about you know creating institutions and creating this and creating that and like they work like very hard and i guess you know my view of like the orban thing is really best uh exemplified in this in this story of this is something that actually happened to me so this was about this was in october of 2021 and I was at the Yoram Hazoni's National Conservative Conference full of like sure. national conservatives. So there's like serious like boomers walking around and then like the boomers <laughs> like, you know, don't know who I am. And then the kids know who I am. But then they're like, when are you speaking? And I'm like speaking like I'm barely allowed to be here, man. You know, and, <laughs> and, and, and so I'm like, you know, doing that. And then it's like three in the morning and I'm like, you know kind of fighting with my girlfriend who would dump me like two days later and I can't sleep and I go down stairs and there's like this group of like a few people sitting around like the smoking area outside the hotel it's in Orlando and there's like Urim's like crazy Israeli settler son I really like actually and and a couple of other people and then there's one of these Orban dudes and because Orban has sent the hung whatever I don't know, Orban personally, but the Hungarian contingent has come to see what they can do with American, you know, the national conservatism uh, or something, right? 
and you know this hungarian guy is is talking like the full orban line he's talking about how you know in hungary like we're saving like european civilization like the new europe starts here like this is really the rebirth of the west like you know everything you know all of the history of europe you know and i'm and i just like you know i'm i'm sympathetic like i'm sympathetic to this person and yeah. their like goals and ideals right you know like i'm not i grew up as a globalist i'm not a globalist i don't believe in globalism i'm like great hungry should be but but i've kind of had enough and so you know i'm looking at this guy and i pull out really my best uh deadpan i can't really do this on pro you know deadpan deadpan has to be organic it has to right. come out like naturally from from who you are sure. and where you are but i'll try it and i'm and i'm just i look at this guy with my best like confused american look on my face and i'm like hungary but isn't that in asia <laughs> oh my god he almost killed me oh. <laughs> he almost killed me <laughs> fortunately i was far enough that he could not cover the distance in like a single acrobatic hungarian leap but i was a little worried that there was some kind of ancient hungarian martial art that might come into play you know but yeah. <laughs> the, in any case you know the problem with doing that is that you can do all this shit and you really haven't changed what's cool in hungary because basically, if you're like a cool kid who's like too smart for his britches, maybe there's some like Jewish DNA and you still like hanging around there <laughs> and you're just like, you know, all of this like Europe, old whatever bullshit, like I could be cool. I could be listening to like Daft Punk and like doing like MDMA and mushrooms like, you know, what does Victor Orban have to offer me that like gets me as high as like, you know, like a really solid like ketamine psychedelic cocktail. He doesn't have anything, right? right. You know, where are the Orban raves? Like, you know, what do these people dance to? Like goulash music, right? You know, <laughs> like, and, and so, you know, there's a sense of like, no, actually, it's like much, much cooler to be like a, um, you know, a Soros person, right? You know, and sort of, and, and that's, you know, essentially provincial. That's kind of the provincial mindset because, of course, it's Hungary. I mean, what are they not? I guess they're not technically in Asia, right? They're really not. That's Europe um, yeah. um, on the books, right? You know, <laughs> but nonetheless, um, it's certainly a little bit to the east of Paris, if you get my drift, you know, and yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it has this kind of provincial mindset where like the the last, uh, you know, um, um, you know, and and, you know, whereas like. Like last, uh, you know, summer, I'm like, you know, hanging out at like Dime Square and I'm like talking to this um, person and uh, I'm like, hey, who are you? And, uh, you know, I discover that um, they're a member of the Soros family, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so it's like basically like there's sort of a right way and a wrong way to do this, right? You know, and if you're basically like doing it the right way, basically the children of your enemies will be found sneaking out of the house and going to your parties. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. and like, that's, that's actually the way you win. The way you do not win is by basically saying, okay, we're going to like, 
force the children of our enemies to go to patriotic Hungarian, like, you know, yeah, yeah. music shows with like accordions and like, you know, no drugs except beer. Right. You know, and, and, and like the, the, so like, and, and if you're just like, okay, well, you know, how do you win by being like degenerate? You know, I think, there's a sort of Kali Yuga Bronze Age pervert, you know, answer to that. Like basically, you know, uh, BAP is a, I mean, one of the many, many, many genius things about Bronze Age pervert, who is really a historic figure, in my mm-hmm. opinion, is sort of the way that he like deals with this problem and the way that he, rather than sort of going for this kind of like stale cultural conservatism, he's just like, no this is more like radical and extreme and chaotic than anything that anyone has to offer. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I have it on um, very good authority that there's nothing at all. Like there's nothing fake about bronze age pervert, right? Yeah. There's nothing fake about him. Yeah. 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 Did he live that lifestyle? Yes, he did. Yeah. You know, and, and so, like like the the and and you can feel it in the work you can feel the absence of like falsity in that work right and and so there again you basically have like you're showing people sort of ways of being that well they really do contain all of this like disruptive understanding of the past they're actually like suitable to disrupt the present they don't feel like they're ultimately not steps back from modernity they're steps forward from modernity and like when you're stepping forward you can generally find people to follow you and when you're stepping back you generally can't and you know at the same time yeah you know would most like trad cons you know think of like the bronze age pervert you know lifestyle as like uh, this is like degenerate modernism. Okay, maybe, but let's not ignore the fact that he can speak Attic Greek with the correct accents and tones, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah, like there's like, a perennialism like, to it. Above, there's a perennialism yeah. to it, and and you know, and that perennialism, you know, is, is sort of not like an old thing. It's like you know, whereas when you're being like. You know, let's say you're like a trad cast. Like, I have a lot of respect for the trad cast. I really respect like people for doing that. The trad, you know, whether Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, or whatever. They're just like, no, this like actually like works for me, and it does. And yet, at a certain level, like nobody is really trad. Like when you've passed yeah. through modernity, and you're doing, you're always going to be doing something that's in a way ironic there. And if you forget the ironic quality of it, you're basically doing something that's like meant for someone else. Mm -hmm. And like you basically have to, okay, yeah, like you can make the Latin mass like a timeless thing, which is like your thing, but you know, don't confuse yourself with like, you know, some like Italian fishing peasant or something like that's not who you are. And you basically, if you're lying about who you are, like nothing good ever came from that. You know, I once got a letter from this woman who, you know, was sort of talking about her, like, you know, kind of relationship past. And she'd had this thing where in her like very early 20s, she became a tradcast e-girl and she met a tradcast like e-boy and they had this like incredible like romance. And then they basically 
you know, to their credit, like both realized, hey, you know what? We're both kind of faking this. And, uh, yeah. and they broke up. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, God, you should have like bonded over that. That was like, a, yeah, no, that's like, was like, I know, but he yeah. couldn't really handle it. You know, yeah. Yeah. but 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 yeah, I mean, you know, that that sense, like, you know, after such knowledge, what forgiveness, right? You know, modernity has really eaten the whole fucking apple from the fucking apple tree. Right. You know, yeah. you have to deal with the consequences of that. You can't pretend that didn't happen. But, you know, nonetheless, you know, once you're just like sort of informed by the amazingness of the pre-modern world, especially when you realize sort of that the richer and more real, the farther back you go, the richer and more real it gets. It's like when you're looking, when you're trying to be a conservative and like conserve like the past world of like monarchy and chivalry and whatever in like the 19th century, it's already like quite dead, you know, whereas in the world of like Shakespeare or like Cervantes, it's still like alive in a sense. Like, you know, I mean, Don Quixote is the first the LARPer, right? You know, yeah, and yeah. yet, you know, Cervantes is writing in a world where those values and that system sort of are still alive. He's writing in a world where you have like, the you know, modernity is just kind of starting to an irony really is just like starting to appear. I mean, you know, Don Quixote is, is an ironic novel. Right. And which is sort of amazing for how old it is. There's a lot of like irony and in Shakespeare and like, but Shakespeare already realizes that like, you know, the future is modern essentially. And the future is like clearly modern. And yet when we have this sort of modernity, that's like so stale that it just like cuts off its roots. It just becomes this like a horrible gray bureaucratic thing that just needs to be extirpated. I'm, I'm rambling, but uh, you know, I sense that you, uh, you probably mostly agree with this. Yeah, no, no, yeah. absolutely. I was even gonna make a little stretch like to that notion earlier. You know, I do obviously you're no longer a libertarian, but one thing that I think is preserved, or perhaps you I'm, I'm a recovering, I'm a recovering libertarian. Recovering libertarian. Um th about that notion of uh, a right wing vision of freedom, you know, being yeah. of spontaneous order, uh on my reading of your work and unqualified reservations and still now, is there I do think there is still that romantic sense about spontaneous order and freedom uh, i think that's one thing contra to you know the tradcast you were mentioning uh, you and bronze yeah. age pervert i think are two uh really great examples of thinkers that still bring that very romantic and exciting sense of freedom perhaps in a right-wing sense but freedom nonetheless uh, yeah yeah it. yeah sure sure and 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 you know you can't i mean when to sort of praise <clears throat> order when you're like under this like suffocating bureaucracy full of rules is just like anyone in this system is just their natural impulse is like extreme individualism. When you find that basically any community or any structure that you're in is just this horrible Borg thing, you're just like, I can't be in any structure. I can't be in any group. I can't, and, you know, that's too bad because it sort of limits the kind of positive things that you can do. 
if you want to make a movie, you have to have a little king called the director. Like, there's no other way to do it, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> and <laughs> and fortunately, one can write a book by oneself because if one couldn't write a book by oneself, instead of having authors, we would have directors. And, yeah. you know, but you can't make a movie by yourself and that's why you need a director, but it's still, so you have an auteur instead of an author. Same difference, right? You know, and, and so that the thing that is easily lost when you sort of fetishize freedom is sort of the kind of glorious experience of community and of yeah. like structured of not just community, which is kind of flat and maybe longhousey, but even like hierarchy, you know, yeah, and there are many very yeah. LARPy, horrible ways to do hierarchy in the modern world, but it's still like something that's there and that's relevant. You know, when I see basically the level of, um, you know, frankly, hero worship that BAP generates, you know, I'm just like, you're doing it exactly right. Like you <laughs> are basically, you know, have figured out how to be a hero and how to be a rock star. And you're like being a hero and you're being a rock star and you're making, I'm pretty sure BAP is making bank off yeah. his podcast and he works like a dog. He works so hard. I'm so impressed with that man, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and like, sort of like everything is okay you know that's like an army of one still but like you know sort of everything like like there's definitely like critical mass out there for a scene whereas like you know 10 years ago there just wasn't and the like where do you where are you from you know 10 years from now is you have a lot more people than bap who are making bank and making and and then it beca it becomes a different thing it becomes a like you know but yeah i'm i'm just like this is there's there's a there's enough of a society out there there's enough of a critical mass people on the outside of it want to get in yeah the energy uh, is know, there yeah the energy is there right you know and and you know that's like you know energy and talent is basically all you need you know go out and go to make shit and, you know, and, and like, it's really once you're, you know, outside the native, I mean, you know, it's, it's just like, you know, Delicious Tacos is making this short film. I just like, so want to see this film because yeah. it will be a 10 minute film that you will fucking remember. <laughs> and, <laughs> and like, think about how much like unforgettable, like my God, like fucking films are bad enough you know hollywood film is bad enough but like fucking short films oh my god right you know yeah. like like that just the awfulness is is just like um um everywhere and you know yeah it's it's like i don't you know one of the the sort of tests for like are you gonna win son right one of the tests for are you gonna win is basically okay if you know if i'm on the winning team basically i expect that team to win so you know if i'm a completely amoral person who doesn't give a fuck about anything and just like wants to get ahead what team am i going to join what am i going to do right you know and the thing is if you can get that force on your side eventually it comes with a problem which is you get a lot of shitheads in your parties right who just want to be there because it's a thing okay at some point you're going to have to deal with that if you're going to succeed but like, you know, if you basically are get are at the point where those people want to be on your side, 
like yeah. the writer of this fucking piece in the New York Times, then that's how you know you're actually winning. You know, how you know you're and how you know you're losing. Conversely, like you basically like go back to like the Red Scare, right? You know, would you rather be as a young, amoral dude, would you rather be on Senator McCarthy's staff or Edward R. Murrow's staff? Well, you know, basically when McCarthy is running around scaring everyone and you sort of don't realize that he's actually the underdog and very much the weaker party in this situation. But like hindsight will tell you that basically anyone who associated with him got wrecked. And, you know, it's like at the start of the Trump administration realizing, oh, wow, he has all these great appointments to, you know, hand out. Maybe that'll look good on people's resumes. No, it won't. You know, basically anyone who took any of the like candies that President Trump had to hand out all got wrecked. And the the like. That shows you that was inevitable in retrospect, and it shows you that you're basically not on a winning path, whereas often the winning path, if you're doing something that's a little edgy, a little out there. You know, the winning path, and I think that's true sort of now for a lot of this stuff, is maybe, you know, someone really immoral will kind of like flirt with it and then like cross over like a little too soon or something like that. You know, you saw people doing this like in the like the punk industrial scene, like, you know, a lot of people were very hard on like nine inch nails, believe it or not, back yeah, in the right. day, because they were just like, this is like way, way you, you're like branding this as like industrial music, but this is like really like radio friendly, like pop industrial, right? You know, yeah. and it was, right? You know, and, 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 and it made Trent Reznor freaking huge. And, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, if that's the way it goes, Trent Reznor was also is enormously talented. And, yeah. And yet there was definitely an edge of like, oh, I see, like this is really it's even like like the the first Nine Inch Nails album is in some ways like a better example of like the perfect sellout than Nirvana, you know, and yeah. <laughs> the 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 and it was perfect. But and yeah, like man. and and so, you know, but the thing that created that was basically, you know, 10 years of like, you know, people getting together like in the back alleys and like you know creating like little labels like wax tracks and like you know doing stuff that like nobody knew or expected would right. win and it's oh, like yeah. those sort of much more thankless periods that create the energy that you're going to need yeah. to like sell out when it's time to sell out when it's time to sell out um, yeah all right any one last one last question i should go like i got texas to do i got uh Absolutely. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, um, so I, I was going to say that this all sounds to me to bring it back to your Elf v. Hobbit post yeah. that this <laughs> is describing power of the elves to create yeah. culture. And that is um, that's how you win, son. Ultimately, that's how you win, culture. son. All culture is high culture. You know, get to like if you grew up as a hobbit you know great people like basically like you know use that use that you know your abuela as a hobbit or whatever don't you know, unfortunately there's really no market for like a hobbit race opera yet like you know <laughs> uh, but, but but you know maybe someday but like you know i that there's no market for it only makes it like more real and more genuine you know like like that's great you know like maybe your race opera can actually be like real in that way it's like john dolan's like pleasant hell or something you know um um even that is a little like uh, you know, it's it doesn't quite have the right dissident 
vibe, but he, I, I like John Dolan, but he's a boomer. Mm. But um, the <laughs> the um, the war nerd, if you know his work. Um, but um, the yeah, you know, like you have to. There's sort of no, there's nothing workable that doesn't involve like passing through modernity learning the lessons of modernity unless you just want to go like straight up like be Amish and like stay Amish but you can't become Amish like nobody yeah. can do that yeah. right yeah. you know and and so but that doesn't mean that you don't have a hell of a lot to learn from the Amish you do but the thing is everything new needs to also in a way succeed by the standards and by the standards, I mean the sort of the, the most fundamental standards of the old. And so right now we have, you know, elf ruled America. And the thing that is like so disturbing about to people about, you know, bronze age pervert bothers people a lot more than, um, you know, I don't know who is even the like hmm. are TV evangelists even a thing anymore, right? I don't you know, think so. Joel Osteen. Because yeah. Joel Osteen, sure. You know, because the thing is that basically, you know, Bronze Age Pervert is on the inside. Bronze Age Pervert has basically succeeded by the standards of the old regime. And 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 that's just the sort of very powerful and like toxic energy. And so you have to become like if you grew up as a hobbit and you're out there and you're watching this like as a 14 year old hobbit like you know you will get farther by like reading the collected works of michelle welbeck than by reading the collected works of jordan peterson like mm -hmm. this is a fact this is sad this is true jordan peterson himself is not it's not like jordan peterson hasn't passed through through modernity actually uh you know, I guess I can say this because, you know, there's no chance that anything like this is like a bad Hollywood movie idea that Hadrian and I had a <laughs> while ago. And this could never be made. So I'm just going to spill the beans, you know, right here on the New Right podcast. Excellent. The idea is uh, it's a road picture and the characters are uh, Steve Coogan. Do you know Steve Coogan? He does these great British road movies. He did 24 hour party people. Yes. Uh, which was yes. the the very, very, very funny guy, Steve Coogan. I love his work. He did um a Tristram Shandy adaptation, which was wonderful. Oh. Um, if you can imagine Steve Coogan as Tristram Shandy, it's, <laughs> it's, it's perfect. I mean, Tristram Shandy is basically like the first postmodern novel, anyway, right? You know, yeah. and um, yeah. you know. And I mean, Don Quixote is ironic, but Tristram Shandy is like downright postmodern and, you know, from the 18th century and the uh, early 18th century even. And and I think and. So Steve Coogan um, and he's playing Jordan Peterson and <laughs> then we have George Clooney and he's playing Hunter Biden and they're okay. together in a rehab in Serbia and they break out of the rehab. And they find life and love on the road. And the film is called Bucko. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, the, uh, I mean, you can see it like clear as day. I don't know if you've seen any of, yeah. of Jordan Peterson's like post rehab appearances. Like he's not oh, the yeah. same. I don't I don't know what they did yeah, to him in that clinic, but it didn't. Love, it didn't. Yeah. You know, the benzos like took something, you know. But yeah, I mean, you know, Jordan Peterson's path kind of indicates that. I mean, he's really like. 
he's trying to sort of sort of restore like the civilizational values that he grew up in you know and make them accessible to like teenagers today and you know it sort of works in a lot of ways but ultimately it's kind of not real whereas yeah the wild fantasies of you know bronze age pervert who's i think his twitter bio used to read something like um the uh the return of you know the, the 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 rebirth of vitalism, the return of the spirit of the Bronze Age, yeah. the destruction of the cities in fire, <laughs> <laughs> and that to me is much more realistic than like clean your room in a sense, right? Yes. And and the I mean, some might say board down on those doors, but you know, the <laughs> like that's one way to clean your room, but but yeah, you know, there, there's there's a way in which you know the kind of there's a kind of sense of freedom and possibility which is captured in BAP and in Welbeck and in these people who, you know, sort of have this very ambivalent relationship to pre-modern values to the point where, you know, Welbeck is just like, well, I'll fuck anything that moves so we should have Islam or something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, the... That makes more sense, actually, than like Jordan Peterson and nothing. I have nothing against like Jordan Peterson, but he's just like it's clearly like it doesn't have that kind of staying power. You can't imagine, you know, who's going to be reading Jordan Peterson in like 50 years, whereas I can imagine that even when people have no idea who Mitt Romney was, they'll be chuckling over, uh, you know, the uh, story of the modern Alcibiades, you know, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Yeah. All right. All right. Um, any any last notes? I really should go. No, just thank you so much for coming on. All right. Um, this yeah. was an amazing yeah. chat. And um, yeah, no. Yeah. Thank you, Curtis. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. It was great. Well, I'll look you up when I'm down in uh, LA sometime. Uh, Please do. Matthew, yeah. you're in LA, right? Yeah. yeah That's yeah, correct. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. 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 I, yeah. I have a trip soon. So. Oh, great. Yeah. Let me know. Um, yeah, you have yeah, my email. We'll so do. let's set up. All right. All right. All right. Take care. All right. Take care. Super fun. Bye. Bye. Bye.